Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Greenlight Guru is committed to improving the quality of life, and now we're ready to improve the quality of education and training in the medical device industry. Greenlight Guru Academy is a comprehensive training resource for anyone looking to learn industry best practices with actionable training from industry experts. You'll get on-demand courses that allow you to move at your own pace on topics related to quality and regulatory product development, design controls, risk management, doc control. Honestly, it's too many to fit into a short ad. So if you're ready to level up your medical device education, visit greenlight.guru forward slash academy today. Hey, everyone. This is Etienne, the host of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Today's episode is one for the early stage entrepreneur. We go into detail about what med tech companies should be thinking about in relation to commercialization and how your regulatory strategy is going to affect the roadmap of your business. So it's a little more high level, but kind of in the planning stage. What kind of fundraising should you be doing? How should you be doing it? What are some of the pitfalls that companies fall into when it comes to building out that commercialization strategy? Today's guest is Dwayne Mancini, or Mancini, if you're in Italy. Dwayne is the CEO and managing partner of Project MedTech. Dwayne has experience in go-to-market strategy, including regulatory and reimbursement, biocompatibility, preclinical efficacy testing, and clinical trial design and execution. So he has a lot of boots on the ground experience, but as a result of Dwayne's unique background, he's developed a comprehensive understanding of what early stage startups need to do in order to be successful. So with all the complexities of running a med tech company and taking a product to the market, Dwayne partners with those startups to develop strategies and milestones. He evaluates the early decisions in various aspects of the company, and he supports in creating the blueprint to build and grow those companies. As a chemist by trade, Dwayne enjoys the innovative science that goes in every company. He's proud to be a nerd of the med tech company, and that's just demonstrated by his hosting of the podcast called Project MedTech. So that is a podcast where you can go check out where he and guests share stories, advice, pitfalls, trends, and innovations in the MedTech space. It's a lot of fun. I've appeared on his podcast and uh, glad to have him on our podcast today. So love to hear what your thoughts are on the episode. If you have any feedback at all, please send it to podcast at greenlight.guru. And now on to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is Etienne, the host of the, today's show. Good to be with you all. Today with me is Dwayne Mancini. Am I pronouncing your name last name right? I, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it. it's amazing how many people I've been talking to recently that I don't even know their last name, but I feel like I know them really well. I don't know if you're yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's it. I mean, if we were like when we went to Italy, everyone said Mancini, which is how you'd pronounce it. But um, at this point, we've been in America long enough. It's been Americanized. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's great to be with you again. I know we did a podcast a while back mm -hmm. um, and that was fun. So I'm excited to do another one with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So same here. Today's topic, we were uh, kind of kicking the topic around before, before we hit record. Today, what I'd like to do is kind of dive into, you know, if I'm talking to an early stage startup, what are the things they need to know about maybe raising capital and also the things that they need to be thinking about and planning for uh, when it comes to commercialization? 
Yeah. Thanks for having me again. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, you've been on ours, John's been on ours and I've, I've done an interview with John on this one. So this is exciting to, to continue to do it, you know, from, so just as a, an asterisk here for, for a technical side, my partner, Rich Mazzula is much more qualified to answer the real technical side of investing and how to prepare your company to take on investment. And that's a whole separate conversation. A lot of where where I support our startup companies is figuring out, you know, the strategy beside, behind who you want to raise from and and what needs to be in that pitch deck and what they're going to ask you and and those types of things. So the number one thing we we try to tell all of our startups when they're going out to raise money is there's three types of investors. There's good, neutral, and bad. And you really want to avoid bad. Neutrals, okay, but you know, for a first, you know, for those first few investors, you want to find a good investor, someone who's going to bring something else to the table, fill a gap you don't have, understand what your mission is for the company and and how they're going to support it. It's really easy to give examples of good investors, and and then there's neutral investors that hey, it's just money; they're probably going to be hands off. But there, there's Bad investors are hard to spot sometimes. You know, they might have some alternative motives. They might, you know, an example is do due diligence on your, the investor. Where are they at in the fund? If it's a venture capital fund, are you, is this towards the end? Have they had any exits? Because what might happen is they're that last money in and the first offer that comes to buy your company, they might want to take because, hey, they have to return money to their investors. The other thing is, do they have experience in your space? We've seen a lot of companies where they raise money from some investors who have aren't maybe familiar with the fact that devices take time to get to market and ask for things that you just, you know, we've had investors be like, oh, you're going to pay a dividend. Uh, no, you know, we're a seed stage company, right? And so I think, you know, that's, those are just some ideas, but you, you got to be aware of good, neutral, bad money and the type of investor. That makes sense. Okay. So those, those, Investors, one of the things that I think about when we have these conversations is, you know, we could talk about investing in a broad <laughs> sense, but what I'm curious about, what are the the specifics when it comes to med tech, you know, med tech investment, what are the unique aspects uh, when it comes to being a med? And you kind of alluded to one, you know, the length mm-hmm. and the time to market, but what are some other things to be thinking about as I go through these conversations? Yeah, you know, so I think that that's one thing, right? Is a lot of the early stage investment dollars aren't for commercialization, right? If you're a tech company and let's say I'm writing a check to you, you're probably selling tomorrow. You know, once the product's done, you're on the market, you're selling. In this scenario, it's okay, well, you got to get FDA clearance or approval or Europe or wherever, wherever regulatory body you're at. And then you can start commercializing. And, and even then it's it's probably more of a, a test market. And even those commercialization pathways can be long, right? If you're selling to a hospital, I don't know, it's 12 months, 18 months on a, on a, you know, on a, on a good cycle. Some people get in fast, but you know, it, it takes a long time to get a few customers. So I just think there's a lot of nuances in, in device where, you know, the, that length of time people probably just don't get. And also, you know, I think the, the number of companies that exit in device is really high. You know, so that how investors are getting their money back a lot of times is through an exit, 
you know, so I think it just, there's just some nuances there. It's, and, and the length yeah. of time is the biggest one. So you, you hit it head on. And I've heard different things from different people. I'm curious your perspective on this. When it comes to that exit, you know, a lot of companies, they may be thinking or even planning for that exit to occur pre-commercialization, you know, sell to Medtronic or sell to whoever before mm -hmm. we hit the market. But is that the case? Is it really more of a, no, you probably are going to get to market and that's likely when you'll be acquired. So have yeah. you seen any patterns emerging? Yeah. I mean, well, the data from Silicon Valley Bank, the last time I had seen an article, a PMA product actually exits sooner than a 510K. Now, I mean, you're a regulatory expert, right? So this this would, I could be misspeaking, but it does make sense, right? And the fact that if you have a PMA product, there's probably not a lot like you on the market. Probably getting into a new space, it's you know a crucial product. It's a class three medical device, right? And so that exit, you can see, you know, Medtronics, the Johnson and Johnsons of the world, the other strategics are willing to kind of buy that because commercialization is probably not going to be overly difficult because you're not really competing against anything. And that's a broad stroke, broad generic stroke. But a 510K, again, you're a me too product by definition. I mean, you're, yeah. you can only be so much different and better. And so I think with, with the 510K, those strategics want to see, hey, you can get on the market, you can capture some, some market share regionally or somewhere. And then, hey, let's talk about maybe incorporating that into our portfolio and our sales team. And so I think that's why you see the length of a 510k exit take a little bit longer than, than maybe a, a PMA. You know, and again, assuming that's what the startup wants to get to. There's some startups who are like, hey, I want this out as soon as I can because I want to move on to my next product. And others are like, well, I want to get the biggest bang for my buck. And in that scenario, you know, there's different valuation points that that increase a company's valuation or different milestones and you know, regulatory approvals one, but then commercialization and and a, at a, even like a regional level or on like a pilot level, uh, that gets you that next big one. So a lot of people are waiting to that one because it gets you a bigger valuation. Yeah. And the question I'm about to ask is probably going to be dependent on every different company, different product. But something you said there was, you know, if a company, maybe they want to just get it out quickly so they can move on to the next product, or maybe they want to get the biggest bang for their buck. And this is a general question, but when you have those conversations with those companies, what do you think is uh, a more realistic and more advisable approach? Or is there any, I know it's probably not any one, but what, what are your thoughts? You mean advisable approach in terms of how to get to that point? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you think the best advice we give is operate the company and that, that milestone as if you're going to have to go beyond that. Right. Because if you're, you're hoping for an exit, You'll, you'll do a few different things. One, it's like from a commercialization sense, you're, you're always going to try to capture more customers. So I'm not so much concerned there, but the building of your team, your quality management system, your regulatory strategy, where you're going next. I mean, those are all things that strategics look at when they're acquiring a company. I mean, I can tell you, this is not just a plug for, for Greenlight, but quality system is like a massive issue because they have to incorporate that quality system into theirs. And by then you're manufacturing and you're doing things. So if you've said, Hey, I'm just going to get to that pilot commercialization phase and I'm going to shoestring my quality system and, and kind of take some shortcuts here, you're going to get ding there and that's going to lower your valuation. And then all of a sudden, you know, 
by that time you've raised money, you've got diluted and now people are buying you out and you didn't do as well as you thought you were going to do now at this point. So I would say, assume you have to go further. Yeah. And that yeah. kind of speaks to that. The question we asked earlier, I suppose, the, the specific things that are related to medical device industry, time to market, specific re regulatory challenges, or even aspects and components of your business that you need to have installed, um, such as the quality management system. Great point. Yeah. If we kind of shift gears and go back to some of the early things you were saying about the pitch decks and things that you recommend customers uh, having in that more broad approach as their journey through or throughout the, uh, whether it's the fundraising, yeah. what are some of those things that you typically recommend uh, your, your yeah. people? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we have our Project MedTech hosts a, another podcast series. So we have Project MedTech, we have MedTech Money. Our MedTech Money series, we, Giovanni Loricella hosts that. And it's, we've done 78 episodes. I just edited the 79th today. And I'll tell you that, you know, we talk to a lot of investors and a lot of entrepreneurs. And the one thing we've learned is that there's more than one way to raise money. However, there are patterns and, and doing this has enabled us to kind of gather some of these patterns. And I can tell you that from an investor standpoint, the number one thing that they all pretty much agree on is they want to invest in a team and a problem. The product is third. And there might even be a little gap between those first two. So, you know, those first two are just so important. And so if you're building a pitch deck, you really want to hit on those two. And, and so you don't really lead with team generally, right? You're, you're pitching, they get that. But you really want to, what we see in a lot of pitch decks is it's the introduction, they have a problem, and then they're on to their solution. And we try to push them to, hey, expand the problem, really make sure they're understanding why this is a really big problem from a patient's side, from a clinician side, from a economic side, right? You really want to, to pinpoint those and, and just throwing those all up in one slide and talking about that for one minute, you know, might not be the best idea. So from a design perspective, that's not me. That's my, my other partner, Aaron, he's very good at these things. Right. But, and he's very good at storytelling, but from like the content of what the investor wants to see, we really try to paint that holistic problem. And then you want to talk about, you know, your, your solution and that sort of thing. And then, you know, I, I would argue you want to show that you've given some regulatory thought and that you've, you know, you're obviously, you have your budget of where you're spending your money and that sort of thing. But you, you want to spend some time talking about commercialization. And, and it doesn't have to be this like in-depth, well, it depends when you're raising, I guess. Uh, if it's really early on, like a seed round, it doesn't have to be this in-depth plan of, hey, this is, we're going to do W-2s versus 1099s versus distributors, right? But it needs to be, if you're selling to a hospital, there's, there's like three things you should probably check, right? You're going to have to have, it used to be you're going to have to have physician ownership to get through a hospital. Now, it's more clinician. It could be a nurse, it could be a doctor. And actually the voices of nurses bringing technology through and saying, hey, we need this really is much higher than before. And actually, so one of our advisors, Sean McGibbon within Project MedTech, he supports some of our companies. You know, he was a former executive at some of the hospitals within Ohio here, Mount Carmel and some of the uh, regional UH ones, uh, university hospitals. And he, he kind of shares the stat, 29% of nurses want to leave their job. And hospitals wow. are aware of this. And there's obviously a big problem in retaining nurses. So like I said, 
in the past, you needed a physician to champion your product and take it through. Now, clinician, it could be a nurse, nurse practitioner, PA, tech, whoever it is, right? If they have a bigger voice within that hospital system now. So you got to check that. You got to check patient, obviously, right? It has to be improving patient. And then there has to be some economical you have to be able to sell to the the revenue cycle, the, the CFO, right? You've got to be able to articulate that story. Now, if you only check two out of three of those boxes, it's not the end of the world. If you check all three of those, dynamite. That's, I mean, that's, that's excellent, right? But you just want to make sure that you've given it thought because the investors know how hard it is. And so you want to make sure you've given that some serious thought, some serious planning of, how are you going to sell to these people? What's the value proposition in early stage? And I think you start in those three areas. I'm sure there's more, right? But those are the three that when we're looking at technology and, and talking to clients, we're, we're really trying to figure that out. I want to go back to the team that you mentioned, mm-hmm. because you, you, you mentioned that first as if it's perhaps most important, the, the, mm-hmm. because it really is the team that you're investing in. And so if we go upstream from the pitch deck, you know, really accentuating and pulling out their strengths, if we go upstream from that, obviously, first, you got to build the team. And maybe that's where we should start. You know, if, if someone's listening who just has an idea, thinking about starting a business or is in the very, very early stages, him and his partner need to start building a few other people out. What should they be looking for? Is it that looks good on paper resume, um, mm-hmm. the accomplishments, the uh, accolades? What do they really look for? Yeah, base. You know, our advice and and it's just our advice. It might not be right. And you know, it, I'm not saying. Well, you've it, done 79 episodes. Congratulations, <laughs> by the way. It's so cool. Yeah. Well, 79 on MedTech money. We're 96 right. on Project MedTech. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I would say that you want to find people who are going to compliment you, and also when you're in the early stage of MedTech, like don't be afraid to fractionalize and don't be afraid to consider those people a part of your team. Right. Investors know this. Um, uh, you know, the team you need in a seed or early stage startup is way different than who's going to make this commercially successful. And so it's okay to fractionalize, but you just want to find people who are going to complement your weaknesses as maybe the leader of the company. And then I think the other major point when you're developing this team is. Find some people, some advisors, some partners who have big networks. The value of your network and the network people are going to bring in for, to you is, is so undervalued to some people. Other people get it right away. Like They're like, hey, that we, we understand the network. It's a big deal. And others are like, ah, I'm not sure if we need it. It is a huge deal because I could tell you that you know, like for Project MedTech, we know what we know and we know what we don't know. And if we don't know it, were the first ones to say, hey, I don't think I can get that answer, but I bet I can find 10 people in my network who can get us an answer, right? Yeah. So I think that is a big help for startups, especially these really early startups that are like babies that are so fragile, you know? So <laughs> that's how we, we now that I'm, now that I'm a, a new dad, I guess, for the last like year and a half and watching my, my daughter grow up, I, I equate most startups to babies because... <laughs> just so fragile. <laughs> no, it's yeah. yeah. Right. And it's funny there's a lot of similarities there. I can I can see oh, that yeah. because you do not want anyone to insult your baby and no one yeah. wants their yeah. company insulted especially in their yeah. we don't want that feedback necessarily but sometimes we need it. So Oh yeah, yeah. My, my wife makes fun of me cuz I have 
just the worst analogies, at least she says. And um, <laughs> one of the ones I used was, you know, some of these young startups, I talk about bad investors or bad partners or bad consultants, whatever it is. They're like, if the uncle at the table has too much to drink at Thanksgiving and it's like, Hey, can I hold your daughter? You're like, no, you know, yeah. uh, it's, it's a very similar thing. So I use that analogy a lot. And she's like, Dwayne, that makes sense, but not really. <laughs> it's close enough to me. Yeah. yeah that, that right. Makes sense. right. Okay. So, so we've gotten to the point where you've got your team, you've built out your pitch deck, the problem. Do you have any suggestions or advice on how you really do flesh out that problem? Because a lot, because you're right to your, to your point, we tend to jump to solutions. So mm -hmm. thoughts? Yeah. Lance Black, episode four of our podcast, he was with Texas Medical Center Innovations at the time. He said something that, and, and I'm sure you get this from your podcast, you take little tidbits from every episode. And, yeah. and this is one that I've held on since episode four, which was be a historian of the problem. Don't just study the problem and understand the problem, but understand how the problem was tried to be solved before, right? And you can pull a lot of examples where things like that have actually come back. You know, maybe they wasn't ready for it in the 80s, but 40 years later, hey, it, it's it's a really good fit now. We find a way to to make that or or the world just wasn't ready for that solution. So I think that's that's a big thing for us. And, and don't, for, don't, don't be afraid to go back and say, well, why didn't it work this time? Could it work now? Um, there's a great example. Episode 40 of our podcast was Memic, um, which is a, a publicly traded company now. And they do hysterectomies, but they do vaginal hysterectomies with a robot. And in the hysterectomy world, vaginal hysterectomies kind of went to the wayside with minimally invasive surgeries. And now they're they took it, added a robotic feel, and now it's coming back a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I brought up being a historian of the problem, you know, both of them were like, that's exactly what we did. And so I think that's a that's probably what you want to do for your pitch deck, but also to just, you know, as as general innovators as well. Wow, that's that's really I, so I hear people talk about understanding the problem, but I don't know that it's quite pushed itself into my brain to the point where I would understand the problem as well as I understand my solution. And that that really sounds like what you're saying. You have to understand yes. as well, if not better, than the product that you're using to fix it. Yep, so, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. So, okay. So now we've worked through this pitch deck. You know what? I'm going to ask a very it's a trivial detail, I guess it seems mm -hmm. like. But, you know, every pitch deck I've seen is different. Uh, some have lots of information. Some have lots of slides. Have, is there a, you know... And maybe it goes into the human psychology. How many slides and how much information? Yeah, <laughs> we've we've heard so much about this. Like some investors are like twenty slides, others are ten, and and I'm not sure if they're answering it because we're asking the question and they yeah. don't actually care. Right. I don't know. I'm also not a good person to ask for this because I am very like I just want the information. You can mm -hmm. give me. You can give, just give me a paper, and that's that's what I would like to read. Um, however, I'm I'm almost a hundred percent certain right now. If Aaron was listening in, he'd be like wiggling in his chair trying to jump in here. So <laughs> I think it's it's a lot on story. We the pitch decks that we've helped support. You know, we try to reduce how much word words are on there. We'd rather have someone tell the story. And so, yeah, I guess it's probably different for different purposes. If you're just sending it and hoping that they open it and read it, then that's maybe different than if you're actually getting a chance to present. Yeah. 
I was listening to something by uh, Tony Fidel. He was, uh, I think, um, Steve Jobs' right-hand man. He wrote a book, Build, An Orthodox Guide to Making Things Worth Making. And I thought that was interesting. One point he said, similar to what you said, Mm -hmm. uh, and that was that uh, you want to be able to tell that story, but it's not really about telling the story. It's about knowing the story before you even build the product. So -hmm. you build the product to that story. Anyway, that's a different yeah. story, and yeah. <laughs> but it's a yeah. unique take on that. Anyway, um, right. l- so let's go to a different part of the the process. So you had mentioned there are certain things you're going to have to understand with commercialization. What are those aspects that you need to understand early on? Yeah, you know, I think, like I said, for the hospital, it's unique. Those those three things I'd mentioned before are 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 really important. And then I also think it's like a basic strategy of how are you going to sell this and and what makes sense? Are you going to bring on an internal person, a W-2 and try to go that route? Are you going to use a uh, a 1099 model where you're using some sales agents in different areas? Are you going to go with a distributor model? And I think understanding those and the positives and negatives of those are really important. And, and, and not one way is right. Not one way is wrong. It depends on the situation. Right. And just as a side note, as I'm a, what, you know, when I host podcasts, if I can get, if I can get a person to say, it depends, I asked a really good question because I'm trying to get their thought process. Right. And so I just said, it's depends, uh, so, you know, so you did good, good question. But um, so, you know, something that a lot of people say, oh, well, I'm just going to use a distributor. Right. And I'll just use this as an example. Or maybe, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna license this to one of the strategics. Okay, that's fine, right? And and obviously those those distributors, strategics, they have inroads already to all these places, and that that is a huge benefit. The negative is is if they're asking for exclusivity, like you are a hundred percent reliant on their sales force to sell that product, and you're a hundred percent reliant on the fact that. If you are selling for one of the strategics or at a distributor, you're a salesperson. So you get commission and you want to make money. And so if your new product is being integrated and it's not an easy sell for them or the the, the economics of it doesn't make sense, that means your product's sitting on the shelf. And if you have an exclusivity deal, it might be on the shelf for one, two, three years. And that's it. You're yeah. not getting any more investment you're not getting extra money from investors if you're like, yeah, I have an exclusivity exclusivity deal with this strategic. Oh, what are your sales like? And they're dismal. You're not getting any more money, you know. So I think, again, there's a there's a lot of positives there, but hey, just be aware of the pitfalls. You know, it's the same thing with 1099s, right? 1099s. The positive is, you know, it's probably commission only. You don't own benefits. There are there are again already in the hospitals or wherever they're selling, but they don't work for you. You know, they're probably carrying other things in their bag. So their focus isn't just on yours. So there's, there's, you know, positives and negatives there. W2s, positive is that's all they're doing. They're working for you, right? They're going to sell just for you. Negative is you owe them, <laughs> you owe them a pretty hefty salary. Generally, you probably owe them benefits. They're probably taking equity if they're the first commercial person, right? So there's a lot you're giving up for that. And again, none of these ones are right. It's just, there's different models. You need to be aware of these models. So you should probably give that a little thought as well um, and be able to articulate what your plan is and why you chose the plan to investors. I mean, you could pivot, no doubt, down the road, right? It's just, you got to be aware of it. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And you know, 
uh, I've heard one thing that tactics fail, principles last. And so I'm, I'm always curious when I talk to somebody who talks with lots of companies, is there any thread of advice that you consistently find yourself giving to them at different points in the game? And I'll let you think if you... <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a, a great question. When people are raising money, the one we always give is, unless you're raising from a high net worth individual or you're raising from a angel group. Um, but if you're raising from a fund, uh, like a VC um, or anything like that, we see, you know, like a lot of people, a lot of people are just like, hey, we just got to put a bunch of shots on goal. And that is the name of the game to a certain extent. However, be a little more strategic with who you want to raise money from. And also don't forget that they have to spend their money. Um, they are raising money just like you. So you don't need to put them on a pedestal um, right. Like they, they have to put their capital to use as well. And so just, you know, people get desperate. I understand those are situations like that, but if you can afford to be strategic, just be strategic in who you want to raise money from. You don't just need to go throwing darts all over the place. Um, so that's, that's one of the pieces we generally give, um, to those. Um, the other thing I think is, we spend a lot of time trying to help clients understand uh, that regulatory fits into your business strategy, fits into your clinical strategy, fits into your commercialization strategy. All those things work together and overlap. Um, you're going to have experts in each individual category, um, but having an understanding of how you know, hey, maybe a regulatory consultant, you're asking them the wrong questions, right? Maybe you're saying, hey, I need to know the easiest pathway to market. Well, that's what they're going to give you. Does that line up with your commercialization strategy, with your reimbursement strategy, with your clinical strategy? It might not. And so I think making sure that you're not um, diving too individual into these different pillars and thinking about them at the base, you know, like the, the, the structure or the foundation is really important. So we try to do a lot of that too. I think, I think those are two big ones. You know, the third one in commercialization, I think is just like, it's the valley of death. And we always liken it to that. Like, I, I don't know, you might know, I don't know how many 510Ks are cleared by the FDA every year. Um, I don't have a number, a hard number on me right now, but yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's a lot, yeah. right? Like a if lot. you had a ballpark. I have a slide on this somewhere, but yeah. I'm, I'm blanking right now, okay. but it's, yeah. 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 Regardless, let's yeah. say it's a hundred, like 90 of those companies fail. Right. right. And then that's, and that's that commercialization side. And so, you know, I think what we always say is commercialization is the valley of death. And other people use this phrase. I, I'm sure I took it from someone. You don't, when, if you're going to, if you're going to run a marathon, you don't get to the start line and go, okay, I guess I'll start preparing for this. You prepare for it way in advance. And so I think that's the biggest thing with commercialization is it's so far off uh, generally. And there's so many things you have to do to get there, but you have to continuously prepare for it so that when you get to the point, you're ready to run that race and, and kind of get through that. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so I, I started to, to just kind of get Google that to see, but yeah. I didn't get to it quick enough. So, um, yeah. but I'll get that number. I may just put that yeah. in the show notes. I think that'd be an yeah. interesting number to have out there. Mm -hmm. um, one other thing that I've thought about is, uh, and we've actually talked about this on the podcast previously. Well, uh, not necessarily you and I, but 
a lot of uh, people who are fundraising, or at least when I talk to people early in the in the game, they may not want to give up equity. Um, they want to hold on to as much as possible for as long as possible, which I guess that would be ideal. But at some point, you got to give it up. Do you run across that with people who don't really want to give up equity, yep. or and and how do you talk people through that? Yeah, so we do. We come up. We we have both both scenarios. People who are very liberal with their equity, and others who are very conservative. I will say again, I don't know what's right, what's wrong. I will just say that your equity is worth nothing unless you exit. It's just you know, I, I there, there's the classic argument of. Do you want 100% of equity of, of a company that is worth 10 bucks, or do you want 10% of a company that's worth 100 million? Right. I mean, most people are going to choose the second. And so, again, like that's a that's a gross exaggeration. Um, but but I would say, you know, my philosophy is I want the best team around me from the very beginning. I mean, it's how we structured Project MedTech, right? I mean, I have two founding partners who have an equal seat at the table. And that's because that's by design, right? I yeah. know my weaknesses and they fill those gaps. And, and I think anyone who thinks that they, they, they're going to, that they're the best at all of this is just, it's a legal, it's a little like egomaniac. And I don't know. I mean, that's just my opinion. It's no, like, that's a I, good point. I, so I yeah. want to ask you something about that because Oftentimes, when I've heard that conversation play out, uh, they talk about the economic side typically. And of course, that's just one aspect of almost like a diamond you know, facet. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many different ways to look into it. One of the others, you kind of hit on it. And that one of the arguments I hear people saying, well, I don't want to give up equity because I want to do it this way because I think this is the best way. But you kind of uh, debunked that a little bit when you said, well, you know, I want the best people around me. So if you don't give up some of that equity, you may not have the best people. You may, you may not even have the best way forward. Right. So yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I just I think that like if you talk to some solo entrepreneurs, I'm sure it's worked out very well for them. Def, there's definitely those stories out there, but I think some of them that you would talk to would say, oh, "Boy, I wish I did it with someone." You know. So I think I think it's a little bit of philosophy, but but my thing is is just. There's no way I know everything and I'm the best at everything. And so I need really, really smart people around me. And, you know, generally speaking, that's going to come at a price and it's probably equity. And so I sit in that camp, but I know others who sit in the camp of like, I'm going to retain 80% and then 70 and then 60. And and that's great. But yeah, it's just not my, my philosophy. Okay. So while we're on team, we, mm-hmm. we already talked a little bit about the champion and you blew my mind a little bit when you talked about the nursing side of things. And uh, oh, yeah. it makes a lot of sense when you talk about how many nurses want to quit their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was that was really interesting to me. So the reason I want to go back to it, though, is I think I can imagine how to go about finding some of these other team members, provided you have a network of some kind. And um, of course, you mentioned you want to kind of unearth those people who have the greatest network. So you're building network upon network, but maybe that's not the same case with the champion, or is it? Uh, How do you go about or how have successful companies gone about finding those champions? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably, you know, a pretty difficult question. There's a lot of key opinion leaders out there, you know, those kind of conferences that are about the disease you are trying to treat are a great place to start and kind of get your name out there as well. You know, uh, one of the other advisors at Project MedTech, Tim Blair, he, he gives a lot of really good advice in this space in terms of, you know, know where 
those people publish in your space, read those magazines, you know, try to be around them as much as possible and, and, and they'll see your product and own it and champion it and that kind of thing. So I don't, maybe it's not too hard, actually, you just got to be around it. And, and, and generally speaking, you know, those people are pretty eager to get involved in that kind of stuff. It's a low commitment, you know, so I think that that's, that's a probably not too difficult, I guess. Yeah. Maybe just broadening your horizon to think not so much focused on the physician anymore and just more broader right. clinician. That's oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I think, I think so. I mean, I, there's probably still some hospital systems that require some type of physician ownership, but again, I think what we're seeing is that the, the nurses, the, the nurse practitioners, the PAs, the others, like they, they have seats at that table. Now, uh, you know, they're on that value analysis committee. They're bringing technology to the value analysis committee within hospitals. Yeah. I'm yeah. curious. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about the value analysis committee or how you get in involved <laughs> in that group? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those, those, that is made up of physicians, the, 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 leadership of a hospital, the financial group of the hospital, right? So there's a lot that goes into there, but that's what you're, you need to get into, to get into a hospital, right? And even if you get past, so, you know, they have to say, okay, hey, we're going to do a trial with your product. Um, okay, great. You're in the door. Trial went good. Now you got to go back to the value committee and they got to go thumbs up. And then a lot of people think, okay, once you're through there, you're okay. Well, then you got to go to purchasing and that could be a train wreck as well. Another three to four months, right? So there's a big process to get in there. Value analysis committee is that first door, I guess, um, if you will. I'm sure there's more doors, but that's the first big milestone to get through. And then I'd also say that, you know, hospitals are big. They are pretty bureaucratic um, generally, right? Like it's, it's, they don't, Things don't happen quickly. And so the value analysis committee might meet once every month or every other month or every quarter. Yeah. So if you, you know, if you miss that, there's more time to that time frame. And you, you know, in startups, timing is everything. And and so is time to to sell. So yeah, there's there's a lot there. That's probably like a whole nother episode. Yeah. <laughs> and I can certainly see, you know, there's always companies that are just a few steps ahead of you. And those entrepreneurs have the same, you know, they want to reach back and help typically, mm -hmm. you know, if oh, yeah. you're not competing directly. Uh, of course, they want to help you out. So that's those those would be the people to, to also get in touch with. Oh, yeah. I mean, networking. yeah, networking, raising money, selling, forming a team, contract manufacturing. Those are the best people to get some advice from on that. And and also, I think, you know, the other big thing is is to ask them how they built their team. And and, you know, a lot of startups really fractionalize pre-seed, seed, series A. Uh, like I said, because it's just, it's just easier. You have your core team, your co-founder, yourself, you know, maybe an engineer, developer, whatever you might have, you have that core team, but then most of the other people on your team are, are fractional and they're going to go away as you grow. And then you'll start bringing on more full-time people. I think, you know, a big mistake some people make is like they go out and hire this full team thinking everyone needs to be full-time. Well, that's going to be a quick burn. And also it might not be the best talent that you can get. Yeah. That makes mm -hmm. sense. The last thing I might ask about would be as you're going through that funding, as you're thinking through all those things, we talked about, you know, the team, the solution, the product. I want to think about the product a little bit because obviously that is, you know, this is that's yep. pretty important. Right. Um, at what point do you start going out looking for that funding? And maybe it's an it depends answer here just by default, but 
Um, are there any more uh, recommended stages or how far along you are when you start going to do those things? Yeah, it's it's probably a little outside of my wheelhouse. Um, sure. And more in, in, in one of my partners, Aaron's. So I don't want to answer too much there just because I'm not a hundred percent sure, but you know, we see a lot of people out there raising money who aren't even at a, uh, they might be at like a, an MVP or something like that. Um, even sometimes before that, right. To get to that point. And so it just, I think depending on who you raise from yeah, that stage matters a lot, right? Like you're not going to go to a VC with a back of the napkin idea, most likely. Might go to an angel investor. Or you might go to a family office or something like that, right? But you're, so I think I think that probably where you're at in that development process and iteration, and it's definitely not design freeze, right? Yeah. But yeah, but that's that's really valuable information, though. That even just what you said about the team and the and the problem. It just mm-hmm. I want to just keep highlighting that because the yeah. s- solution itself, third place, I would not have. You know, that's, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, and, and, and most of the investors would say, because I've pushed back on the same thing, and they'll all say, look, there's a lot of really good solutions, just not good fits, right? And so I think that's that's the real the real play here. They More than one, uh, I don't get it. I don't know if like investors are big uh, horse racers or, <laughs> or, or whatever, but a lot of them have used a B horse with an A jockey. Uh, and then I had one other person flip it around and say, I'll take an A jockey and then I want to bet on the course and then the horse. And I was like, oh yeah, now they're, you know, so like, yeah, right, right. And I, I just sit there and I'm like, I mean, I'm not a horse racer, but I, I got to get to the track. Yeah. Right. Oh, wow. Right. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Okay. Well. Mm-hmm. I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, any last piece of advice or, you know, how people can find you to learn more about you, your podcast and so forth? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, projectmedtech.com is fantastic. There's a fantastic way to see what we're doing. Not fantastic. To just, <laughs> fantastic way to see what we're doing. We have both podcasts on there. We have virtual events. We have our in-person events on there. Anything else we're doing. Um, most of us are in Cleveland, Ohio. So we have some local um, events that we do, but we are geographically agnostic. We support gl- companies globally. Um, so we have all those free resources uh, that people can take advantage of. There's also paid events you can go to and that kind of thing, but there's a lot of free information there. Um, and then we also have our consulting group um, where we focus on pre-seed, seed, series A stage companies. Um, we provide uh, fractional CFO services, COO services. We help with corporate strategy. Uh, we help with fundraising strategy. Uh, we help with milestone development. And so we kind of really service as a more hands-on executive consultant for some of these companies. Um, but there, and then LinkedIn, we're extremely active. Project MedTech, and then also my personal page, Dwayne Mancini. Um, we share a lot of, again, we, we, there's a lot of free information. And then there's also our consulting company. They're both separate. So, um, but LinkedIn and our website. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to being at your startup symposium next week. Now I'm sure that'll be over by the time this episode releases June. uh, Was it 14th and 15th, right? Yeah. But yeah, Yeah. looking forward to that. And our next one, I'm assuming this will be out before October is at Texas medical center in Houston, Texas. It'll be October 6th and 7th. And, And I would also just plug to like, for startup companies, investors, service providers, this is a not an expensive event, you know, when you compare it to maybe some of the others in the industry. So if you're looking to come to Houston or in Houston, sign up. Awesome. 
Well, thank you, Dwayne. Look forward to seeing you next week. And uh, yeah, I think that's great. For those of you listening, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast, and we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. The medical device industry is nothing if not unique. So we built software that works the same way. Greenlight Guru is the only quality management system designed by medical device professionals to meet the unique needs of medical device companies. Our cloud-based platform allows companies to bring safer products to market up to three times faster while reducing risk and lowering cost. Visit www.greenlight.guru today to request your free personalized demo of Greenlight Guru.